Take your Bibles and turn with me tonight to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to have to get out of this coat already. Revelation chapter 3. If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Good to see Sister Julie uh, here tonight. Be much in prayer for her. We had her uh, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. A very familiar portion of Scripture here for, for each of us. And uh, uh, so many times... Uh, we fail to uh, really look at everything it is in uh, portions of this scripture, but uh, we're going to look at, at, at it tonight. We, we're in a series that we have titled Power in That Name. We're going through the different names of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Uh, we could actually go into the Old Testament. Man, we may do some of those yet. I don't know. Uh, I'm just, I don't know when we'll cut this off, but uh, been looking at uh, the names of Christ. There's names of Christ in the Old Testament. You say, well, I didn't think that was, a, but only in the New Testament. No, there, Jesus Christ is named and appears many times in the Old Testament uh, in different ways. And so uh, many times we miss, miss that in the Old Testament. Maybe we ought to point that out uh, for each of us. But uh, Revelation chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. It says, Un- and unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As me as I love, I rebuke, and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door. And knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. If you look back in verse 14, there it says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans, Write these things, and notice what it says, saith the amen, saith the amen. I'd like to preach a message I've titled, The Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this evening asking that you would meet with us in a powerful way. We need your presence. We need your hand upon the services. Lord, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen us, help us to see the importance of this name and others that we'll point out in this verse. Father, I pray now that you would strengthen your people. Help us to focus our hearts on you tonight. May we put away anything in our hearts and lives, Lord, that does not belong there. Lord, I pray that our, that our hearts would be clean before you. Forgive us of our sin where we fail you. Lord, hide me behind the cross that people might see Jesus Christ. May you be lifted up. May you be exalted. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. As you look at this, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, saith the amen, the faithful, and, the, and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Here the Lord is dictating, you've got to, if you look at what's taking place, John the Revelator is writing unto the seven churches. 
And here he is writing unto to the Laodicean church, which uh, if you take these churches, and we've talked about this before, but if you take these churches, they're not only churches that were present at that time, but they, were also, they are also churches that you might find basically scattered throughout uh, the world today. But they also represent a time period, a church age. And uh, we are living in what you might, what is described by many theologians and different ones as the Laodicean church age. And you see what it, what it talked about, how that they thought that everything was going well and how that all was fine in their life and how that have, they, they were in need of nothing. And so we find here that, that uh, John is writing, but we find that the Lord himself, Jesus Christ himself, is dictating the letter, okay? If you go back and look at the other letters to the churches, it's the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ himself, dictating the letter to those churches, and he's supposed to take the letter to those churches, be sent to those churches to hear from God concerning uh, what's going on in the church where they're at. And so we find here that it's a that he as he's as he's dictating, we see his name as the Amen, but it's combined with that name, uh, combined with that name Amen is a descriptive titles that goes beyond there, and that reveal him as the Amen. It says he's the faithful. Okay, notice they're looking at your scripture there. Look at it. It says that the faithful, and then it says, and the true witness, and the beginning of creation. All three of those are titles that go with that, that name, amen. Because if you begin to go back to the words and you begin to see how they connect with amen, they are continually bringing up the fact that he is true and that he is, is the, the witness, he is God, and, he is a, and that we should trust him in all that he says because he's going to bring about everything that he says. This is the only place, by the way, that you'll find where Jesus Christ is called the Amen in the New Testament. And so we see it here as, it, as we, we go through these verses here. So first of all, consider that title, Amen, as the name of Christ, as it's being written to the church of Laodiceans, and to us because the Laodicean church is the church age in which we live in, okay? And so not only is it written to that church, but it's written to you and me because we are living in that last days of the Laodicean church. And so it says here, it says, These things saith the Amen. Amen carries the meaning of so be it. If you look at, if you look, go back and look at the, uh, the Greek word that's used there, and even if you go back to the Hebrew, they both come back with the same of meaning so be it. And so when he, Jesus Christ is calling his name, he's, he's speaking, he says, tell them the amen said this. Tell them the amen uh, dictated this letter to them. And, and what he's saying is the one that says, so be it. As we pray and close our prayers with the amen, we say, so be it. As we're praying, we might be praying, Lord, would you be with, with a Sister Julie? And would you be with this person, that person? Help them, Lord, with their health issues. Or, Lord, would you work in our lives? And, Lord, would you save this person? And we generally close with the, with, the, with the word, amen. A lot of people, they think, well, that's just a, a nice way of ending prayer. And it's just like putting an ending on putting the period after at the end of a sentence. And that is not what amen means. Amen means so be it. Otherwise, what we have prayed, Lord, and asked you to do, may you take it and may it happen. And so be it. So be it that uh, you're glorified, and so be it that. And that, by the way, could I put up, could I put in at this point here that 
The reason that we say amen is because we are to be praying concerning the will of God. And what we're asking is, Lord, I want your will done. Not my will, but your will done. And when we say amen, what we're saying, so be it that your will, Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, that that is what takes place, not my will. And so we're, that's, that's why we close it in prayer like that many times. We're saying uh, saying amen, and, and as the preacher a lot of times are preaching, you'll hear different ones that'll say amen, and basically what it is is the preacher is, is saying something from the Word of God, and uh, we're saying, so be it, so be it, and so that is what the, the title or the name uh, amen comes from, the phrase, so be it, and so what we find here uh, that the amen is Jesus Christ, he's saying, my name means so be it, otherwise... Uh, amen, as a describing name in, in this verse, brings out the meaning what he says is true and will come to pass. So here's Jesus Christ. He's, he's addressing the church of Laodicea. And he's talking about their, all the good works that they thought that they were doing. And, and then he says, you know what? He says, uh, but you think that you're in need of nothing. He said, you think that you're rich and increased with goods? He said, but really, he said, you're, you're blind and naked, and, and uh, he said, you're poor. He said, you need, some, you need to be clothed. You need your eyes opened. And so what he's doing is he's laying it all out before him, and really what he's saying, if you're not going to repent, if you're not going to turn back, I'm going to pour out judgment upon you. And so what he's saying is what I'm telling you, Laodicean church, is true. It's not something necessary that will happen, but it's true. It is happening. And you are away from God. And you think that everything's fine, and it's not. And he's saying, this is what I'm trying to get you to see. When he says that he, when he calls himself the amen, he wants them to know that, listen, if you don't straighten out, I'm going to bring judgment. By the way, we're living in this Laodicean age. There will be a judgment that will come. Because, how do you know, preacher? Because amen said it. And so be it. So we find that there. Uh, the amen meaning uh, through him, the purposes of God are going to be established. They're going to take place. They're going to happen. It's going to come to pass. When you get into the word of God and Jesus Christ says that he is coming back, his name is amen. He's saying so be it. It will come to pass. When he says that he's going to judge the uh, the dead, he's going to judge the those who are alive who have rejected him as Savior. He says, amen, said it, so be it. It's going to come to pass. When he says that you and I will one day stand before the Lord, kneel before the Lord actually, and we'll give an account of our lives, he's saying, the amen has said this, so be it. It's been established. It will take place. It will happen. And so as we get into looking at what he's telling Laodicea here, he said, I'm going to establish exactly what I have said. What I said is going to happen is going to happen. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him a man. Did you hear what I just said? All the promises even. He said, everything that I've said, everything that I have promised you is yea or yes. But he goes on and he said, and in him, amen. 
or so be it. It will happen unto the glory of God by us. And so everything that he is saying to the Laodicean church there, he's wanting them to understand. He's wanting, and I'm trying to get you into the setting of, as he's writing this letter, he's trying to get them to see the same thing he wants you and me to see. And that is that absolutely everything that he has written in this book will come to pass. He has established it. He has set forth in everything that he says, every promise. He said, I will keep every promise. He said, every judgment, I will keep every judgment. Every, everything that, that I have said about my return will come to pass. Everything that I said about the tribulation period will come to pass. Everything that I said about the millennial reign will come to pass. Everything that I said about the coming of the, the new Jerusalem coming down into the world, he said, it will come to pass. Everything that I've said about those who've been, who have rejected me will be cast into the lake of fire, it will come to pass. And everybody that has rejected me as Savior, it will come to pass that they will be judged and cast into the lake of fire. But everyone that has put their faith and trust in me as, my, as their Savior, he said, they shall live for eternity with me in heaven and it shall come to pass he said it's my word and I've established it then we go on we see that Jesus is the faithful and true witness it's a little bit more than just just that he, what he has said but he goes on he says I want you to understand that when the amen says that it shall come to pass he says I want you to know that I'm faithful and that I'm true to my witness he said I'm faithful and I'm true. You know, we live in a day and time where faithfulness is a rare commodity many times. Whether it be in a family or a husband, wife, or, or people working at a job. We're having problems today. They're having all kinds of problems trying to find somebody to, uh, uh, to work because people are unfaithful to their work ethic. It's, you know, they would rather sit back and do nothing and uh, not get a job and our government has encouraged it. I'm not, and I understand what's taken place. Our government had, had encouraged it. And, uh, but uh, you know what? what? The problem is, is that many factories, you do a little research on this, many factories have to, fi have to hire more people than they actually need in order to have enough people there on any given day to do the work. Because on any given day, there's many people who are unfaithful to the job that they, and they just want to draw the check. You say, preacher, that's meddling. I don't care what you call it. It's wrong. They're unfaithful. And uh, you need to roll out and, and hit the floor. You say, man, I'm tired. There's no fake I'll go today. That's unfaithfulness to the job. You signed up to work. And unless you're sick or something has, that has literally happened, you ought to be there. It's called character. It's called character. It's called a godly witness. We live in a day when Christians have a poor work ethic. And it's a poor testimony. They're unfaithful. But Jesus Christ says, I am the faithful witness. I'm true. I'm the faithful and true witness. He said, I want you to understand, we speak, we speak because <clears throat> we speak because we believe something. Jesus Christ speaks 
Because he knows. Okay? We believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. We don't know when. But Jesus Christ knows he's coming back. He's a faithful witness. He's a true witness. He knows. It's not, you know, uh, uh, you, can, you can look at a lot of things and believe that it's so, but Jesus Christ knows what's so. So therefore, as he tells us what's going to take place and what he will do, he already knows. Therefore, he can be a witness. It's like this. If you see a car, if you see a car wreck happen, you can be a witness, a true witness of what took place, couldn't you? You see it happen. You can be a true witness of it. If you hear a car crash happen and you go up and there's people standing there and you begin to ask what happened and this one tells you this and this one tells you this and this one tells you this and this one tells you that. You cannot be a faithful and true witness because you didn't see it happen. You're taking it second-handed. Jesus Christ is a true and faithful witness because he already knows what's going to happen. See, what... How, Hey, listen, he's already, has he seen it, preacher? Yes, he has. He said it hasn't happened yet. How could he see it? He's God. He knows if you're, if you're going to have an appendicitis before you was ever born. I, you say, it's hard for me to understand. It's hard for any of us to understand. But he's God. And he is a faithful and true witness. Everything that he says, it will happen. Well, preacher, they talking about the rapture and it's, you know, and him coming back for years. Uh, my grandpa has said it was going to happen and his grandpa said it was going to happen and his grandpa said it happened and it's never happened. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen, does it? Fact is, the Bible says it's going to happen because Jesus Christ has shared that with us in, in his letters through the, the preachers that he used and through the, the apostles that's going to happen. And so it's going to happen in his timing, when he desires for it to happen. He's already seen it take place. In fact, you find that John the Revelator was able to see some things that's going to happen in the future. And I'll tell you what, that's amazing, as God showed those things to him. So he, it's already, you know, we look at things and we think, well, preacher, if it's, if it's going to happen a thousand years from now, if it's going to happen a thousand years from now, could John the Revelator actually have seen it? Yes, because God revealed it to him. A minute in time is like a thousand years to God, or a thousand years like a minute to God. Time means nothing to God because he sees it all, he knows it all, he knows what's going to take place. And so, he speaks and he communes with us through his infallible word. You hold the word of God. It's the infallible word of God in your, in your lap tonight. And by his spirit, he witnesses to our hearts the truths of his word. That's why we should read the Bible, folks. If you were reading 
I am, I am one, I am not one that really likes to read a lot of things. I like to read in preparation for messages. I like to read about uh, events in history such as uh, once in a while you hear me talk about uh, uh, something that happened in World War II and things like that. I like to read about some of those things. But if you give me a fiction story or something, I'm not interested in it. I don't want to read it. I, I really don't want I, It's just not me. I want to read about something that's either happened or something that the Bible says is going to happen. I don't read for pleasure. I, I read, I'm going to be honest with you, most of my reading is done for preparation illustration, for, or for preaching illustrations or for, for, uh, to help me understand some things or maybe uh, to, uh, to use it so that I can get a message across somehow. And so that's my type of reading. But it's got to be things that's happened. I'm not interested in things that haven't happened, but if it's some things that are laid out by the Word of God that are going to happen, I want to hear about it. I want to read it. And so the Lord said, listen, my Word is true from cover to cover. Why would we not want to read the infallible Word of God when He's done said that He's a faithful and true witness? And what you're holding in your hand right now is a faithful and true witness. We hold the Word of God. He has laid out everything, not everything, there's, there's things that we don't understand, things we don't know, but He's laid out within the Word of God all that we need to know, but many times we read it like it's a, a, like it's a, a, fiction, a, not a fiction or something like that, or somebody who sat down and wrote some type of novel. My friend, understand that this is a faithful and true witness. The amen wrote this. And that means so be it. What we hold in our hands is going to come to pass. And so we need to learn that when he says, when he's writing to the Laodiceans, he's laying out before them, he wants them to know what's going to come to pass. You know, when you're making a trip somewhere, you kind of want to know what highways you're going to be on. And if there's some highways or something that they're doing construction on and there's some detours, it's pretty nice to know what those detours are going to be, where it's going to take you a different direction. And so, you know, sometimes it's good to, to look at your maps and maybe even get on like MoDOT or something like that and see what highways have been shut down. Well, when you get into the Word of God, it's nice to know what's going to happen because he's a faithful and true witness. As the amen spoke to John here to write unto the Laodicean church, he was sharing a faithful and true witness to them of their condition and the remedy for their condition. You and I have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. If you're saved, if you're saved, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you've been been bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. So what we find is that we have the Spirit of God that dwells within us. And that is a witness to your heart and life. But that which he witnesses to your heart and life is true, and it's faithful. Satan, however, will try to give you a false narrative. He will try to mislead you. He'll try to get you to go the wrong direction. He'll try to get you to think that, hey, listen, this is happening or this is taking place. When the Spirit of God says, look at the Word of God. Is it in the Word of God? Does it, is it backed up by the Word of God? And so we find this faithful and true witness here that speaks to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know, 
as he was speaking to the Laodiceans, he didn't candy coat what he, what he had to say. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, y'all are, I know you're going through a rough time and it's really, rough, it's really bad. He says, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched. When's the last time somebody walked up and you said, you're a wretch? You said, I'd knock their block off. He said, he told the Laodiceans, he said, you're wretched. He said, you're wicked. I mean, he, he's not candy coating this thing. He goes on, he says, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And they're sitting there saying, what do you mean we're blind and that we're naked. We can see. And what do you mean we're poor? Look at what we got in our banking account. Look at all the things that we have. Look at our houses. Look at our vehicles. Look at everything that we've got. He said, you're blind. He said, you're naked. We got clothes. He's not talking about the physical. He's talking about the spiritual. And he's dealing with them here. And he calls it just like it is. He doesn't candy coat it. He goes on, though, and he tells them what needs to be done in their life. He said, I, I counsel unto thee to buy. He goes, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, otherwise something that's pure, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that, and that thy shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. And what he's talking about is living for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about the material things, but he's trying to get them to see that they're not what they think they are. When's the last time that you asked the Lord, Lord, would you tell me what I'm really like? We don't pray like that, do we? Would you don't pray, Lord, would you show me the sin in my life? We generally don't pray like that. You know why? Because we don't want to know what the true witness really has to say. We really don't want the truth. We want somebody to come up to us and say, man, you, you are the best. You're good. Man, you are fantastic. Man, you are great. Man, I tell you what, you're wonderful. You guys are the best thing that ever happened to this world. I mean, good night. There's nobody like you. And we like that, don't we? Come on, be honest. We like somebody bragging on us. And there's nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. Don't, I'm not saying that we shouldn't brag on somebody and encourage them. That, that's okay. But when's the last time you ask the Lord, Lord, I know they see me for this or that, but how do you see me? You know why we don't do that? Because we compare ourselves by ourselves. We measure ourselves by our, ourselves. And what it is, basically, we find somebody else that we don't think is quite to the standard that we are at in living our spiritual life, and we compare ourselves to them. We always find somebody like that instead of going to the Word of God and saying, Lord, what needs to be changed in my life? Lord, would you, would you show me where I'm at? Would you... And when we do, many times the Lord will put his finger right on some things that he wants changed in our life. Because he is a true and faithful witness. 
and he'll reveal those things. Sometimes it's through the preaching of God's word. The preacher gets up and preaches, and, and sometimes we think that, how'd the preacher know about that? <laughs> and he doesn't. But God does. And there's been so many times I've stood at the back door uh, shaking hands over the years, not just here, but in other churches or when I'm out preaching revival, and I've had people come through and, boy, I'll tell you what, you really, oh, the Lord really got all over me through your message. Boy, how, you know, I don't know how, boys, it looks like you was preaching right to me. And then they'll tell me what, what the Lord was doing with their heart about. And I'm thinking, that wasn't even in there. I didn't even say nothing about that. But the Spirit of God, which is a true and faithful witness, deals with our hearts that way. And so the amen says, I am a true and faithful witness, and I want you to understand where you are. By truth, he was trying to open the Laodiceans' eyes and our eyes today, trying to get us to see, trying to get us to see what's taking place in our lives. You see, Jesus the amen, the faithful and true witness, loves his church. And if you're saved, you are the church. You're the bride of Christ. We are the church. We are the body. It's not this building, though we meet in this building that we call a church building. We are the church. And so he, he loves his church and he desires it to be a pure bride. In fact, the value of the church is not what it is in our eyes as men. But the church... What it is in the eyes of God is important, very important. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, as, he's, as he's given us counsel about husbands and wives, he uses the picture of Jesus Christ and the church being the bride of Christ as a husband and wife. Let me just read a, a portion of there in verse 25 down through 27. It says, husbands love your wives. And then he says, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He died for the church. We are the church. He died for you and me. That's what he died for. That he might sanctify it, otherwise separate it out from the world and cleanse it with the washing of, the, of, of water by the word. Otherwise, he says, I want to take this bride. He said, I, the church, and I want to wash it. I want it to be pure. I want it to be uh, 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 something that will bring honor and glory to, to my name. In verse 27 says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Many, as did the church of Laodicea, they think everything's fine in their lives, going through the motions, thinking that there is no need of nothing in their lives. And yet, he says, you're blind, you're naked, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor. And he's telling them the truth. We've heard that old saying, the truth hurts. The truth hurts. But you know what? How can you correct something if you don't have the truth? We must have the truth. And he's a true and faithful witness to us. If we will ask the Lord what is needed in our lives and the church, he's faithful and true witness of the condition and our need. When, As I said before, when's the last time you called on the Lord and asked him to reveal to you your need in your life as a Christian? Every Christian ought to do that. 
and we all do it on a regular basis. Lord, what is it that you want to do with my heart and life about? There's those times when I can feel that maybe the Lord's presence isn't like presence isn't like it ought to be, and I'll I'll stop and ask, Lord, what what is it? What's hindering my fellowship? The Bible says his hand is not short that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins, your iniquities, have separated between you and your God. And so sometimes we allow things in our lives that separates between us and God. And that's when we ought to be saying, Lord, what is it? Maybe you don't realize what it is. Maybe, maybe there's something going on in your life and you really don't think it's all that bad. But maybe the Lord said, wait a minute, let me put my finger on it for you so you know he's that faithful and true witness to you and me. And then the amen is the beginning of creation. Notice there in verse 14 again, it says, These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Okay, preacher, we understand that he's the creator of all things. Yeah, but what Jesus is doing here with the Laodiceans, he's reminding them the amen always was and that he uh, always will be and that he's the creator of all and the God of all. He's trying to get the Laodiceans to see, and you and me, we live in this Laodicean age. He's trying to get them to see, he's trying to get you and me to see that he is the creator of all. That he is God. You know, sometimes, could I say this? And, and we don't treat Jesus Christ like God. I, I, I'm sickened by some of the things that I see going on in churches. They're not treating Jesus like God. They're treating him like a man. They're treating him like one of the good old boys, the buddies. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ is not one of the good old boys. He's not one of the buddies. He is God. And he deserves our worship and he deserves our praise and he deserves us to bow to him and he deserves us to follow him and he deserves us to lift him up as God. Amen. He's reminding the Laodiceans that he is their judge one day. He said, all these things are going to come to pass. He said, I'm the amen, so be it. He said, I'm the faithful and true witness. He said, these things are going to happen. And well, how do you know they're going to happen? He said, I created all things. I created you. I created this world. And I'm God. That's what he's saying. It would do us all good to stop and think, you know, he is God. And oh, how I ought to be living for him. In Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus the same yesterday and today and forever. He changes not. That means if he changes not, if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever... The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if Jesus Christ is the same, it's talking about Jesus Christ when it talks about that in the beginning was, was the Word, that was Jesus Christ. The Word was with God, that's Jesus Christ, He was with the Heavenly Father. And the Word is God, that's Jesus Christ, He is God. And He gives unto us what He calls His Word. And then when He says, I'm the same yesterday... Today and forever, he said, I'm giving you a true and faithful witness. I created all things, and I absolutely do not change. Therefore, his word does not change. You know, with all the, you know, we have so many laws, and we have so many amendments every year. The, 
we're always on, well, we got to make a law on this. we gotta, we got to change this. This no longer applies. And, well, we got to make a new exception to this law. And, we got, and they're always changing the laws of the land. And I'm not saying that's, that, that, that all that is bad. A lot of times it is. But Jesus Christ says, it's a faithful and it's a true witness. And because I don't change, because I am the creator of all. He said, you can trust it. And you can go to it. And I'll speak to your heart through it. And tomorrow, my answer will be the same that my answer is today. And the way that I want you to live will be the same that I want you to live today. And next month, the answer will be the same. And my word will be the same. And the way that I want you to live will be the same. He said, I change not. How can you have a faithful and true witness if it's always changing? How can we trust the Bible if it's no longer applicable to us? At what point do you say, well, this is, this is out of date here. This is, you know, we're, we're living in, in 2021, preacher. And, and, and how can we say, you know, look at this over here. Good, night, you know. Nobody pays attention to that anymore. That, that, that's, that's archaic. That's old. Jesus says it's a faithful and true witness. And he said it changes not. That's why it doesn't matter whether you're little uh, Remy's age or whether you're brother Jim's age. Or somewhere in between, it still applies the same. Because it's a faithful and true witness. And he's God. He created all. As creator of all, his work is established. It'll never change, as I said. And it is a faithful and true witness to all. In Psalms 119.89, it says, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven forever, forever. So how do these names and titles move and apply to us in our days? And I think I've tried to share that as I went along. These things, saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The amen has written to us, as well as the church of Laodicean, the scripture, is given for our exhortation, for our guide, to help us to live for him, to strengthen us, and to correct us. That's why he said, I'm faithful, I'm true witness, because it is here for you to help you. The word of God is not here to beat you up. The word of God is here to strengthen you. Yes, it's here to correct us. But he corrects us in love and he corrects us in mercy. I am so glad that he has mercy. I am so glad that he corrects us because he loves us, not because he's mad at us. You know, he's not standing there with a two-by-four waiting for you to make the wrong move so he can slap you upside the head with it. But he's standing there in love. But at the same time, you have people say, oh, he's a God of love and everything's fine, everything's rosy, everything's great. Until he has to correct you. 
and he can spank. My dad knew how to spank. He did not abuse us. But I have heard the sound of that belt coming out of those belt loops many times. It's because my brother was going to get a whipping, not me. <clears throat> and he knew how to discipline us. There's at times he would use something else besides the belt. He would ground us from something or you can't do this or that. But he knew how to discipline us to get his point across. My mom knew how to. She'd make us do the dishes, my brother and I. That's worse than getting the whipping. I'd rather get the whipping, amen, than to do the dishes. The fact is, is that our Heavenly Father knows how to discipline us. But he does it out of love, to guide us, to correct us. The amen, the so be it, will take place. The promises of God are sure. The testimony of God is true. And it's good to know in his name that you can see that his name says amen or so be it. it it's taking on the fact that it's going to happen. And if, you, if he gives you a promise, he says it'll, it'll happen. It may not happen exactly the way you think it ought to happen. And it may not happen the way or when you think it ought to happen. But the promises of God are true. And he says so be it. If you do this and live after this way, he said, so be it. You've got the promises that I give you. He's faithful to us no matter if we're unfaithful to him. But with that faithfulness comes our just reward or our discipline. Because he's not going to change. He's not going to. Can I say this? God is not going to treat me any different concerning sin than what he would treat my son. He is not going to treat me any different than he would treat Brenda. Well, how do you know that? Because he is a faithful and true witness. And he will deal now understand the circumstances may be a little bit different in when I say that what I'm saying is this. Otherwise, he's not going to be harder on me necessarily in the, in the same level other than the fact that he may use different things. He knows what discipline we need. It might be, okay, I go to the hospital. It might be, okay, uh, she's out of work. It might be that he wrecks his car to get our attention. You see what I'm saying? But it will still be what we needed. Otherwise, he's not going to beat up on me and be nice to somebody else, if that makes sense. Okay? He's a faithful and true witness. And so he loves us. He cares for us. He's merciful. He gives us the promises. He, he disciplines us, but he also rewards us. There's rewards for living. I've heard people say, ah, I don't, I, I, don't live, I don't live for the rewards. Well, you're stupid then. <laughs> oh, he said the S word. I got told that on the bus. <clears throat> if there's rewards that he wants to give me, I'm all for it. 
Isn't that kind of selfish, preacher? No. Because if you'll get into the scripture, you'll find one day what we do with those rewards. What are we going to do with them? Put them in the bank? We cast them at his feet. You get a crown, you're not going to walk around like Miss Universe. That's like this, isn't it? You're going to take that crown and say, you're worthy. I'm unworthy. And you're going to cast it at his feet. You want why I want rewards? Because I want something that I can cast at his feet, Brother Gene. I want something that I can give back to him. I can't give him anything except to try to live for him. But when I get to heaven, he's going to, there's going to be rewards. I'm not going to go into it. You can go over to uh, in the Corinthians. It talks about wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. What are we going to do with those? If you've got the gold, silver, and precious stones, we're going to cast them at his feet. Those are rewards. We can go in. There's, there's several different types of crowns that's available that we can gain. But we're not going to keep them for ourselves. We're going to cast them back at Jesus' feet because he's worthy. He deserves those, not us. And yet that shows his love for us. So there's the discipline, but there is the rewards. As created from the beginning, he's Lord, always has been, always will be. Therefore, we must heed his word and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and look unto him in all things. The psalmist said in Psalms 37, 5, he says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Commit thy way. Why? Because if you commit your way to Him, he's already, He already knows what's going to happen. He'll say, so be it. So be it. He's the amen. The amen. The faithful and true witness. The creator. Of everything. He's God. And oh how he deserves. Us to follow him. If you ever doubted. You shouldn't. He's able to take care of all things. And do all things well. Because he knows. From beginning. To end. Absolutely everything. That's going to happen. We believe. But he knows. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your goodness to us, that you are the amen. And so, therefore, what you say in the word of God, what you lead us through the Holy Spirit, it will come to pass. Lord, there's no one like you. We thank you. We love you. Lord, help us to live for you. Lord, yes, we may live in this Laodicean age, but we don't have to be like the Laodiceans. We can live in such a way, Lord, that brings honor and glory to your name. May we do that, Lord. Maybe with tonight we need to just find a, a place of prayer and say, Lord, would you show me in my life what I need to change that I might be pleasing unto you? Lord, I pray that you have your will and way in our lives. Guide us and direct us. For this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So be it.